Section 42 of the Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3 by John Calvin, translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 23, Part 1. REFUTATION OF THE CALUMNIES BY WHICH THIS DOCTRINE IS ALWAYS UNJUSTLY ASSAILED This chapter consists of four parts, which refute the principal objections to this doctrine, and the various pleas and exceptions founded on these objections. These are preceded by a refutation of those who hold election but deny reprobation. Section 1. Then follows 1. A refutation of the first objection to the doctrine of reprobation and election, sections 2 to 5. 2. An answer to the second objection, sections 6 to 9. 3. A refutation of the third objection. 4. A refutation of the fourth objection, to which is added a useful and necessary caution, sections 12 to 14. Sections. 1. Error of those who deny reprobation. 1. Election opposed to reprobation. 2. Those who deny reprobation presumptuously plead with God, whose counsels even angels adore. 3. They murmur against God when disclosing his counsels by the Apostle. Exception and Answer. Passage of Augustine. 2. First Objection. Videlicet, that God is unjustly offended with those whom he dooms to destruction without their own desert. First answer, from the consideration of the divine will, the nature of this will, and how to be considered. 3. Second answer, God owes nothing to man. His hatred against those who are corrupted by sin is most just. The reprobate, convinced in their own consciences of the just judgment of God. 4. Exception. Vide Lisette, that the reprobate seem to have been preordained to sin. Answer. Passage of the Apostle vindicated from calumny. 5. Answer. Confirmed by the authority of Augustine. Illustration. Passage of Augustine. 6. Objection that God ought not to impute the sins rendered necessary by his predestination. First answer, by ancient writers. This is not valid. Second answer, also defective. Third answer, proposed by Vala, well-founded. 7. Objection, that God did not decree that Adam should perish by his fall. Refuted by a variety of reasons. A noble passage. Of Augustine. 8. Objection. That the wicked perish by the permission, not by the will of God. Answer. A pious exhortation. 9. Objection and answer. 10. Objection. That, according to the doctrine of predestination, God is a respecter of persons. Answer. 11. Objection. That sinners are to be punished equally, 
or the justice of God is unequal? Answer. Confirmed by passages of Augustine. 12. Objection. That the doctrine of predestination produces overweening confidence and impiety. Different answers. 13. Another objection, depending on the former. Answer. The doctrine of predestination to be preached, not passed over in silence. 14. How it is to be preached and delivered to the people. Summary of the Orthodox Doctrine of Predestination from Augustine. 1. The human mind, when it hears this doctrine, cannot restrain its petulance, but boils and rages as if aroused by the sound of a trumpet. Many professing a desire to defend the deity from an invidious charge admit the doctrine of election, but deny that any one is reprobated. This they do ignorantly and childishly, since there could be no election without its opposite, reprobation. God is said to set apart those whom he adopts to salvation. It were most absurd to say that he admits others fortuitously, or that they, by their industry, acquire what election alone confers on a few. Those, therefore, whom God passes by, he reprobates, and that for no other cause but because he is pleased to exclude them from the inheritance which he predestines to his children. Nor is it possible to tolerate the petulance of men in refusing to be restrained by the word of God in regard to his incomprehensible counsel, which even angels adore. We have already been told that hardening is not less under the immediate hand of God than mercy. Paul does not, after the example of those whom I have mentioned, labor anxiously to defend God by calling in the aid of falsehood. He only reminds us that it is unlawful for the creature to quarrel with its creator. Then how will those who refuse to admit that any are reprobated by God explain the following words of Christ? Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. Matthew 15.13 They are plainly told that all whom the heavenly Father has not been pleased to plant as sacred trees in his garden are doomed and devoted to destruction. If they deny that this is a sign of reprobation, there is nothing, however clear, that can be proved to them. But, if they will still murmur, let us in soberness of faith rest contented with the admonition of Paul, that it can be no ground of complaint that God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Romans 9, 22, 23. Let my readers observe that Paul, to cut off all handle for murmuring and detraction, attributes supreme sovereignty to the wrath and power of God, for it were unjust that those profound judgments, which transcend all our powers of discernment, should be subject to our calculation. It is frivolous in our opponents to reply that God does not altogether reject those whom, in levity, he tolerates, but remains in suspense with regards to them. If peradventure they may repent, as if Paul were representing God as patiently waiting 
for the conversion of those whom he describes as fitted for destruction. For Augustine, rightly expounding this passage, says that where power is united to endurance, God does not permit, but rules. They add also that it is not without cause that the vessels of wrath are said to be fitted for destruction, and that God is said to have prepared the vessels of mercy, because in this way the praise of salvation is claimed for God, whereas the blame of perdition is thrown upon those who of their own accord bring it upon themselves. But were I to concede that by the different forms of expression Paul softens the harshness of the former clause, it by no means follows that he transfers the preparation for destruction to any other cause than to the secret counsel of God. This, indeed, is asserted in the preceding context, where God is said to have raised up Pharaoh, and to harden whom he will. Hence it follows that the hidden counsel of God is the cause of hardening. I at least hold with Augustine that when God makes sheep out of wolves, he forms them again by the powerful influence of grace, that their hardness may thus be subdued, and that he does not convert the obstinate, because he does not exert that more powerful grace, a grace which he has at command, if he were disposed to use it. 2. These observations would be amply sufficient for the pious and modest, and such as remember that they are men. But, because many are the species of blasphemy which these virulent dogs utter against God, we shall, as far as the case admits, give an answer to each. Foolish men raise many grounds of quarrel with God, as if they held him subject to their accusations. First, they ask why God is offended with the creatures who have not provoked him by any previous offense. For to devote to destruction whomsoever he pleases more resembles the caprice of a tyrant than the legal sentence of a judge. And, therefore, there is reason to expostulate with God, if at his mere pleasure men are, without any desert of their own, predestinated to eternal death. If at any time thoughts of this kind come into the minds of the pious, they will be sufficiently armed to repress them by considering how sinful it is to insist on knowing the causes of the divine will, since it is itself, and justly ought to be, the cause of all that exists. For if his will has any cause, there must be something antecedent to it, and to which it is annexed. This it were impious to imagine. The will of God is the supreme rule of righteousness, so that everything which he wills must be held to be righteous by the mere fact of his willing it. Therefore, when it is asked why the Lord did so, we must answer, because he pleased. But if you proceed farther to ask why he pleased, you ask for something greater and something more sublime than the will of God, and nothing such can be found. Let human temerity then be quiet and cease to inquire after what exists not, lest perhaps it fails to find what does exist. This, I say, will be sufficient to restrain any one who would reverently contemplate the secret things of God, against the audacity of the wicked 
who hesitate not openly to blaspheme god will sufficiently defend himself by his own righteousness without our assistance when depriving their consciences of all means of evasion he shall hold them under conviction and make them feel their guilt we however give no countenance to the fiction of absolute power which as it is heathenish so it ought justly to be held in detestation by us we do not imagine god to be lawless he is a law unto himself because as plato says men laboring under the influence of concupiscence need law but the will of god is not only free from all vice but is the supreme standard of perfection the law of all laws but we deny that he is bound to give an account of his procedure and we moreover deny that we are fit of our own ability to give judgment in such a case wherefore when we are tempted to go farther than we ought let this consideration deter us thou shalt be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest psalm fifty one four three god may thus quell his enemies by silence but lest we should allow them with impunity to hold his sacred name in derision he supplies us with weapons against them from his word accordingly when we are accosted in such terms as these why did god from the first predestine some to death when as they were not yet in existence they could not have merited the sentence of death let us by way of reply ask in our turn what do you imagine that god owes to man if he is pleased to estimate him by his own nature as we are all vitiated by sin we cannot but be hateful to god and that not from tyrannical cruelty but the strictest justice but if all whom the lord predestines to death are naturally liable to the sentence of death of what injustice pray do they complain should all the sons of adam come to dispute and contend with their creator because by his eternal providence they were before birth doomed to perpetual destruction when god comes to reckon with them what will they be able to mutter against this defence if all are taken from a corrupt mass it is not strange that all are subject to condemnation let them not therefore charge god with injustice if by his eternal judgment they are doomed to a death which they themselves feel that whether they will or not they are drawn spontaneously by their own nature hence it appears how perverse is this affectation of murmuring when of set purpose they suppress the cause of condemnation which they are compelled to recognize in themselves that they may lay blame upon god but though i should confess a hundred times that god is the author and it is most certain that he is they do not however thereby efface their own guilt which engraven on their consciences is ever and anon presenting itself to their view four they again object were not men predestinated by the ordination of god to that corruption which is now held forth as the cause of condemnation if so when they perish in their corruptions they do nothing else than suffer punishment for that calamity into which by the predestination of god adam fell and dragged all his posterity headlong with him is not he therefore 
unjust in this cruelly mocking his creatures i admit that by the will of god all the sons of adam fell into that state of wretchedness in which they are now involved and this is just what i said at the first that we must always return to the mere pleasure of the divine will the cause of which is hidden in himself but it does not forthwith follow that god lies open to this charge for we will answer with paul in these words nay but o man who art thou that replies against god shall the thing formed say to him who formed it why hast thou made me thus has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honour and another unto dishonour romans nine twenty twenty one they will deny that the justice of god is thus truly defended and will allege that we seek an evasion such as those are wont to employ who have no good excuse for what more seems to be said here than just that the power of god is such as cannot be hindered so that he can do whatsoever he pleases but it is far otherwise for what stronger reason can be given than when we are ordered to reflect who god is how could he who is judge of the world commit any unrighteousness if it properly belongs to the nature of god to do judgment he must naturally love justice and abhor injustice wherefore the apostle did not as if he had been caught in a difficulty have recourse to evasion he only intimated that the procedure of divine justice is too high to be scanned by human measure or comprehended by the feebleness of human intellect the apostle indeed confesses that in the divine judgments there is a depth in which all the minds of men must be engulfed if they attempt to penetrate into it but he also shows how unbecoming it is to reduce the works of god to such a law as that we can presume to condemn them the moment they accord not with our reason there is a well-known saying of solomon which however few properly understand the great god that formed all things both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth transgressors proverbs twenty six ten for he is speaking of the greatness of god whose pleasure it is to inflict punishment on fools and transgressors though he is not pleased to bestow his spirit upon them it is a monstrous infatuation in men to seek to subject that which has no bounds to their little measure of reason paul gives the name of elect to the angels who maintain their integrity if their steadfastness was owing to the good pleasure of god the revolt of the others proves that they were abandoned of this no other cause can be adduced than reprobation which is hidden in the secret counsel of god five now should some manes or celestinus come forward to arraign divine providence see section eight i say with paul that no account of it can be given because by its magnitude it far surpasses our understanding is there anything strange or absurd in this would we have the power of god so limited as to be unable to do more than our mind can comprehend i say with augustine that the lord has created those who as he certainly foreknew were to go to destruction and he did so because he so willed why he willed it 
is not ours to ask, as we cannot comprehend, nor can it become us even to raise a controversy as to the justice of divine will. Whenever we speak of it, we are speaking of the supreme standard of justice. But when justice clearly appears, why should we raise any question of injustice? Let us not, therefore, be ashamed to stop their mouths after the example of Paul. Whenever they presume to carp, let us begin to repeat, Who are ye miserable men that bring an accusation against God, and bring it because he does not adapt the greatness of his works to your meager capacity, as ever everything must be perverse that is hidden from the flesh? The immensity of the divine judgments is known to you by clear experience. You know that they are called a great deep. Psalm 36, 6. Now, look at the narrowness of your own minds and say whether it can comprehend the decrees of God. Why then should you, by infatuated inquisitiveness, plunge yourself into an abyss which reason itself tells you will prove your destruction? Why are you not deterred, in some degree at least, by what the book of Job, as well as the prophetical books, declare concerning the incomprehensible wisdom and dreadful power of God? If your mind is troubled, decline not to embrace the counsel of Augustine. You, a man, expect an answer from me. I also am a man. Wherefore, let us both listen to him who says, O man, who art thou? Believing ignorance is better than presumptuous knowledge. Seek merits. You will find naught but punishment. O oh, the height! Peter denies, a thief believes. O oh, the height! Do you ask the reason? I tremble at the height. Reason you? I will wonder. Dispute you? I will believe. I see the height. I cannot sound the depth. Paul found rest because he found wonder. He calls the judgments of God unsearchable. And have you come to search them? He says that his ways are past finding out. And do you seek to find them out? We shall gain nothing by proceeding farther, for neither will the Lord satisfy the petulance of these men, nor does he need any other defense than that which he used by his Spirit, who spoke by the mouth of Paul. We unlearn the art of speaking well when we cease to speak with God. 6. Impiety starts another objection which, however, seeks not so much to criminate God as to excuse the sinner, though he who is condemned by God as a sinner cannot ultimately be acquitted without impugning the judge. This, then, is the scoffing language which profane tongues employ. Why should God blame men for things the necessity of which he has imposed by his own predestination? What could they do? Could they struggle with his decrees? It were in vain for them to do it, since they could not possibly succeed. It is not just, therefore, to punish them for things the principal cause of which is in the predestination of God. Here I will abstain from a defense to which ecclesiastical writers usually recur, that there is nothing in the prescience of God to prevent him from regarding man as a sinner, since the evils which he foresees are man's not his. 
this would not stop the caviller who would still insist that god might if he had pleased have prevented the evils which he foresaw and not having done so must with determinate counsel have created man for the very purpose of so acting on the earth but if by the providence of god man was created on the condition of afterwards doing whatever he does then that which he cannot escape and which he is constrained by the will of god to do cannot be charged upon him as a crime let us therefore see what is the proper method of solving the difficulty first all must admit what solomon says the lord has made all things for himself yea even the wicked for the day of evil proverbs sixteen four now since the arrangement of all things is in the hand of god since to him belongs the disposal of life and death he arranges all things by his sovereign counsel in such a way that individuals are born who are doomed from the womb to certain death and are to glorify him by their destruction if any one alleges that no necessity is laid upon them by the providence of god but rather that they are created by him in that condition because he foresaw their future depravity he says something but does not say enough ancient writers indeed occasionally employ this solution though with some degree of hesitation the schoolmen again rest in it as if it could not be gainsaid i for my part am willing to admit that mere prescience lays no necessity on the creatures though some do not assent to this but hold that it is itself the cause of things but vala though otherwise not greatly skilled in sacred matters seems to me to have taken a shrewder and more acute view when he shows that the dispute is superfluous since life and death are acts of the divine will rather than of prescience if god merely foresaw human events and did not also arrange and dispose of them at his pleasure there might be room for agitating the question how far his foreknowledge amounts to necessity but since he foresees the things which are to happen simply because he has decreed that they are so to happen it is vain to debate about prescience while it is clear that all events take place by his sovereign appointment end of section forty two